Would you turn in your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles available, to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. You'll find it helpful because I haven't time to read all the verses. Um, but uh, if you notice, the chapter begins with a, a word of woe. Woe to the crown of prides, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a flading flower and so on. And then uh, there's more about the crown of pride. But the verses I want to think about particularly are verses 5 and 6, Isaiah 28 and verses 5 and 6. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, for a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Now, just a very brief word of background. Hezekiah was on the throne. The Israelites had appealed to Egypt for help, but that had not worked out. And Isaiah has something to say about that earlier. So they tried to make a, a, a deal with Tiglath-Pileser IV of, of Assyria. But Assyria was like a lion waiting to pounce. The Israelites thought that everything was okay, that there was no judgment now going to come to them because uh, they were on Assyria's side, but that was extremely naive. Uh, and verse 1 uh, speaks about them being drunkards. Well, that was drunken revelry. Uh, they'd never had it so good. Materialism seemed to prevail. Um, their harvests seemed to be good. Um, uh, but judgment through Assyria is in the hand of the Lord. Verse two, Samaria was in a very beautiful situation. It was perched on a fruitful hill and surrounded by vineyards and flowers, a city of pride, and they boasted in their glory and confident in their cell, in themselves. But uh, storm clouds were brewing and a swift and sudden downfall was approaching so that verse three, all will be trampled underfoot and their a crown of pride would be nothing but a fading glory. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, verses one to four describe the northern kingdom. Verses seven to eight describe Judah, uh, also intoxicated with pride and self-sufficiency. They couldn't understand the visions or make strict, straight uh, decisions or lead correctly. And it is a sickening picture of what happens when people reject God's word. Judah was just as bad as Samaria. Uh, godless glory is transient. Godly glory is permanent. Now, a great separation is coming in that day. Verse five, what will happen? The crown of pride will be destroyed, but the crown of glory will be bestowed upon God's people. So which crown are you working for? The fading crown, flower of the crown of pride or the crown of glory, the diadem of beauty bestowed by the Lord himself? So who is this one? Well, he is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Isaiah 6, I saw also the Lord. John 12, 41. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. So John identifies the Lord of hosts, the Lord Sabaoth, as God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
true God of true God, life of life eternal, as the Christmas hymn puts it, as it quotes the Nicene creeds, the Lord God of hosts, the creator of all things. In what way is he the Lord God of hosts? Well, that includes the hosts of heaven, the starry worlds. Our solar system is but a fraction or tiny fraction of the whole creation. It's beyond the measure of man. In fact, it staggers the imagination uh, to try to measure the greatness of heaven. I can remember as a child sitting on a swing um, uh, late at night in a park and then just holding back on the swing and looking up at the sky and thinking of the stars and seeing the stars and being amazed, amazed and overcome. And I, even as I'm older, I still find that an amazing thing, just trying to imagine the measure of the greatness of the heavens that we can see, all created by the almighty, all-present, all-knowing God, hosts of heaven, of the heavens, but also the hosts of the angelic beings who appeared at his birth, Jacob in the Old Testament, Maenaim, where the hosts of God met him. And the angels, of course, earlier ascending and descending upon the ladder set up to, from earth to heaven. And of course, also uh, the hosts of heaven. And that includes, includes the believers already in glory, that multitude that no man can number of every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation, all the true saved ones who've gone before him and whom we will join if we are his children. And our dear sister Sally B is already there. And all our dear friends who we've lost in COVID, and many of us have known that, uh, have lost friends they're there if they're the Lord's people. These are those for whom creation was made and the angels are appointed. So unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is the Lord of hosts. That's the first question. Who is this one? Here's the second one. What is he to his people? He is a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty. The glorious beauty of Israelite worship in the Old Testament when God first appointed it. The worship, the tabernacle, the priesthood, the law, the Levites. But here is one who is so much greater. Let the priest and Levite be dismissed. He is our crown of glory and our diadem of beauty. He is our great high priest. Christ is the new covenant. Christ is the fulfillment of the law for us. We have no need of physical temple now because, as the hymn puts it, the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. And he brings his own to all the, into his own all the blessings and benefits of his kingdom. Thus, to know his real and felt presence with us now is a real blessing, a supreme blessing. It is indeed a foretaste of the glory to come. Now, as I was thinking about this, I found uh, an article written by a dear friend of mine back in the mid 70s, 1975 or six, something like that. He was a pastor of a big church in London, uh, and he describes um, uh, what happened uh, uh, the week before he writes this article. And he says this, and I quote, we had a prayer meeting some time ago on a Tuesday night. We prayed for about an hour and a half, and then I got up to close the service. In fact, I did close it and pronounce the benediction. We get about a hundred people or so to the prayer meeting on a Tuesday night. And after I closed the service, nobody moved. 
they sat there transfixed. I just looked at that congregation and all their eyes were closed and they were lost in God. They didn't move for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And then someone started to cry as the Holy Ghost moved, as the glory of God came down. And somebody else began to cry and the whole congregation was melted. And then after that, somebody got up to pray. A lady who hadn't prayed for 25 years in our church. When the glory of God comes down, he moves people who haven't been moved for 25 years. After that, we sang a chorus. By this time, it was 9.25. And then this wonderful, awesome presence of the glory of God came down again. And there was perfect stillness. I think that is so significant. Some people think that you've got to have noise and music and razzmatazz. But so often in times of revival, when God has come down in glory, there has been silence. He says that went on until 25 to 10, quarter to 10. And I tried to get up to get up then to close the meeting in prayer the second time. People didn't move again. You know, when the glory of God comes down, this, this writer says, it is not a question of trying to get people in the church. It's trying to get them out of the church. That night, I could not get them out. There was a melting once again. Someone started singing a chorus and everyone took the chorus up and sang from their hearts. It was like the sound of many waters. By this time, it was a quarter past 10, 20 past 10. And then after the glorious singing, there came this subduing again of the Holy Ghost, of the glory of God, and everybody was still. All oh, the stillness of the presence of God. And at 10 past 11, because we didn't want the neighbors to be disturbed when the cars were started up, I got up in the solemnity and I said, brothers and sisters, let us go home with the glory of God upon us. And the people walked out of that church that night reluctantly and in quietness with an awesome presence of God upon them. That is what I long for. That's what my friend wrote. And I say I enjoy, I agree with him. There is no need to manipulate, maneuver, to arrange. You cannot program this. It has to come down from God Almighty. He who dwells in the glory can send the glory upon us. I just found that so helpful. I, I, I discovered it this morning and I thought how it fitted in with what Rick was saying yesterday and how important that is. John 1.14, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Who is this one? What is, his, what is he to his people? Thirdly, and very briefly, who are his people? Well, Isaiah calls them the remnant, the residue of his people. Now, Amos 9 takes this up, but we won't turn to it now. Quoted, But these words were quoted on the day of Pentecost from Amos, the words in Amos. All who call upon his name, all the true people of God, those who have been effectually called, who have a saving interest in Christ. Do you ask this question, my friend? How can I know whether I'm among the residue, the remnant of, the, of, his, of his people. 
I've had Christians sometimes come to me and say that. What do I say to them? Well, I say this. Well, here's the test. What is Christ to you? Is he your crown of glory, your diadem of beauty? My glory and crown crown are in Christ alone. Can I be mistaken? Well, indeed you can. Don't take it for granted. Do what the old Puritans used to say. Make but trial of the question. Is he the only glory and beauty that you recognize? And they would say this sometimes. Can you give a comfortable answer to the question? Am I always defending my own righteousness and position? Or am I always trusting in the Lord Jesus? We have no good thing to say of ourselves. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. But take the world, but give me Jesus. That's the only glory and beauty that we know in him. So as we come to prayer, my friends, let us exalt in him. Let us thank him. Let us glory in him. We come as those who are among the children of grace, enjoying fellowship with him and with one another, partaking of God's good grace to us. He alone is our crown of glory and diadem of beauty. And until that day comes when we leave this sinful world and stand in his presence and join with our friends like Sally B again and others and see them face to face. But we see him face to face and rejoice forevermore in our hearts. That joy that fills our hearts with joy unspeakable and full of glory, which comes from him alone. And may our times of prayer increasingly become foretastes of that glory as he himself draws near to us with his manifest and real presence.